Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Soul Focus Radio. This is your host, Martin Friedman, and I'm so excited to be joined by one of our facilitators, Dr. Martina Tam. Hey, Martina. Hey, Martin. Great to be here with you. Great to be here with you, too. How are you doing today? How's, how's life in the, uh, in the Pacific Northwest? It has finally cooled down, so I am enjoying our cool 70. Okay. Nice, nice. Well, as you know, I was just out there last weekend for the first time in a year and a half. I got to meet you in person, which was mm-hmm. awesome. And But I also got to experience the fires, you know, the smoke. And uh, I mean, not that there's fires in Seattle, but just smoke from the from the fires, I think, that are mostly in Canada right now. And uh, it was pretty intense out there, really, really um, smoky and kind of smoggy, too. I know. It's kind of a sad new reality. Yeah. Smoke every summer. But it was so awesome to finally meet you in person. Yeah, it really was. It really was great. It's, you know, I've met so, so many people virtually, right? During the, mm-hmm. during the coronavirus times. And then now I'm just, I'm now I'm starting to meet everybody in person and it's great. You know, it really is. There's nothing like being in person, you know, nothing mm-hmm. like it. Yeah. I don't so, know for you. It's been wild for me. Sometimes I forget because we've met so much virtually. I'm like, wait, yes. have we met in person? Yes. Yes. I do the same thing. Right. And then when you meet the person in person, you're like, oh, I've never met this person, you know, not yeah, not human to human. It's just such an interesting world we live in right now. You know, just how we define even what meeting is and spending time with mm-hmm. somebody is, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, it was truly awesome being out there with the Seattle family and Getting to see everybody, getting to see my godsons, and you know, just it was just awesome. It was really awesome, okay. and my grandsons too. I'm, I can't forget my grandsons, <laughs> grandsons and godsons. Yeah. So really, we want to just use this first episode as an opportunity just to get to know you a little bit. So, you know, really just jump in and, and tell us about you know who you are, what you do, you know, anything that you want folks to know about you, you know, in the in the soul focus world. Yeah, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Well, like you were saying, my name's Martina Tam, and I grew up in the Seattle area. I grew up in a suburb of Seattle. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was trying to think, well, you know, who am I? And I think such a big part of my identity has been that I am a child of immigrants. So my mm-hmm. dad came over from Hong Kong, um, and then my mom came over from Germany, both of them in their 20s. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, being mixed race, being the child of immigrants, growing up in a multilingual household, it really, I think, formed a lot of this feeling of who I am and started me on this journey that eventually has led me to work with Soul Focus Group. A lot of that being mixed race, mixed culture, there was kind of always this feeling of otherness because there's not very many German Chinese Americans who you meet in the suburbs of Seattle. And so... (laughs) I just always I I found that as I was growing up and then through college, the folks I was always most drawn to were people who felt some feeling of otherness from the mainstream world. And so I think that's kind of where actually I first encountered Dustin Washington, one of the co-founders of, of Soul Focus Group, that kind of got me started on this journey. Nice, nice. So tell us a little bit of the story about how your parents meet, because not only do I think that uh, mixed race German Chinese people are rare in the suburbs of Seattle, I think that might be rare in a lot of places in the United States. So tell us a little a little bit about the story about how you came to be, how your parents uh, met, got together. 
Yeah, it's actually a pretty cute story. So my mom came over as an au pair after high school, mm. and my dad had come over for college, and they were both in Boston. And uh, my mom has a very infectious laugh. She's from mm. so yeah, she's on she's a German one. Mm-hmm. And my dad heard her laugh in a smoky cafe. And as she was, and my dad, ironically, he studied German in high school in Hong Kong. So he overheard her. He knew she was speaking German. And as she left, he thought the best pickup line is if I ask if she's French. And then she'll say no and we'll have a great conversation. So he walks up, asks if she's French, and she's just like, no, and walked away. Uh, but I guess she made such an impression. He says he came back to the cafe every day until she came again. And then they had a drink and the rest is history. Wow. That's a pretty good story. That's yeah, a pretty, pretty good story. Cute. Yeah. I think my favorite part is the failed pickup line. This is going to be great. <laughs> nope. And just walks out. <laughs> that is, that is, that is really funny. Yeah. It sounds like your parents are characters for sure. So that's how you got connected to Soul Focus Group is when you first met Dustin. But tell us a little bit about your, you know, professional life, your journey to, you know, becoming a doctor and and, and all of that as well. Yeah. So I think a, a big part, you know, I, I didn't know I wanted to be a doctor until a little bit later in life after college, actually. But as I look back on it, I kind of see that um, I was already on that that journey. Um, I grew up with my Chinese grandmother. She lived with us from when I was one to 17. Mm-hmm. And so in high school, one of my jobs was being a, a caregiver for her. And we were very close. Mm-hmm. And then, and so just a lot of that physical care and caring for an elder and that connection kind of through caring, that human connection through physical caring for someone. Mm-hmm. And then my older sister, um, has struggled with learning disabilities due to an illness that she had at birth. And so, you know, I remember going to children's hospital a lot as a kid and, you know, she would get all the pokes and I would get like free toys, but Mm -hmm. just seeing her experience and experiencing, and then later on reflecting the experience of my parents, even though they're very well educated, both, you know, being accented with non-American accents and immigrants and not understanding the healthcare system some of the struggles they face, which I think compared to, you know, many people in this country are minimal, but still how their experience then affected a lot of my sister's health and outcomes. And so that was kind of always in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And then I went after college, I actually moved to China to live with my dad. He was there for work and he had some health issues that were pretty miraculously improved with acupuncture. And Mm. so I kind of started down a journey in China of studying acupuncture and just fell in love even more with that hands-on healing. Right. But knew I wanted to be in the U.S. and knew that I wanted to be able to work with people on their health in the most accessible way possible. And at the time, I felt like acupuncture was really only accessible to a few in the U.S., which is why I felt that becoming a physician would allow me access to more people and a larger variety of, of communities and then try to incorporate acupuncture into that, into that practice. Mm. That's really good. You know, thank you for sharing that. You know, and then tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing now, because I think it's, you know, where you ended up you know, in terms of where you're doing your practice right now, I think is is pretty fascinating too. 
Yeah, so I um, did medical school here in Seattle at the University of Washington, and then did my residency training in family medicine at Kaiser in Seattle. And then just this past September, started working for the Puyallup tribe at their clinic in Tacoma, Washington. Okay. So it's an urban clinic on an urban reservation, and I get to do kind of everything from delivering babies, caring for babies, and then caring for folks up until the end of their lives, and then also working with residents. And how's that experience been for you so far? Um, it's been good. I, I say um because it's also been, it's hard. <laughs> Everyone right. says your first job out of residency is like doing residency all over again. There's just so much to learn. So definitely a steep learning curve, but super fulfilling. I'm really grateful to be where I am and helping me to kind of re-examine not only learning sort of medical information, but re-examine how do I work with communities and interact and support patients in ways that are both, you know, I hate the phrase culturally sensitive, but kind of that aspect. Right. Um, Cause there's all these check boxes of like, this is what you should do to be on all the right medicines. And then, well, okay, well, where are you at? And how do we work with you? And then getting to care for so many families has been really fulfilling. So that's a really fun part of my job is caring for siblings and parents and kids and kind of getting to know everyone together and learning that dynamic. Yeah, no, that sounds really awesome. And, you know, so I'm thinking about the culture, right? Because, you know, we talk about cultural competency. I know when, you know, when I was working in social services in the Seattle area, we you know, we started talking about cultural relevancy as sort of the evolution to that, you know, looking deep at culture. Now, you know, with Soul Focus Group, we talk about the integration of consciousness, which is really the integration of cultural consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, talk a little bit about what that's been like for you to be in an indigenous space, you coming from multiple cultural backgrounds, right? Because I think your story is a story of being intercultural, at least as much it is being inter as it is being interracial, Right. What has that been like to, you know, to really approach the work that you're doing with indigenous people from that, that place of, of really trying to integrate cultural consciousness? Yeah. One of the things that, that really drew me to work for a tribe is that it's so unique being able to work for an organization, especially a healthcare organization that is run by non white people. And, right. you know, in this case, run by an indigenous community. And so, you know, yes, we still have a lot of the healthcare system pieces, yeah. but there is much more of that cultural integration instead of the assimilation that we talk about with Soul Focus Group. Right. Um, and actually in medical school, I took a year off to work at a, a tribally run clinic up in Alaska called South Central Foundation because they did this amazing work where in 20 years, they transformed their healthcare system from being a place where you could really only get healthcare by going into the emergency room. So any preventive care you wanted, you had to go wait in the ER. That was the only way to see a doctor to being really one of the world's best um, healthcare organization in terms of outcomes, quality improvement. So really wanted to learn from them about how did you make this cultural transformation and then do it in a way that is connected to Alaska native values and culture. Mm -hmm. And working there was such a profound difference. It was the first place I worked that was majority people of color, leadership were people of color, and it, it, you could feel the difference. And to me, that is really fulfilling, even though I'm not Native. Um, just being in a place where there is that 
difference. You can actually feel the integration versus the assimilation that, you know, compared to larger healthcare organizations was a really beautiful thing for me and really soul fulfilling for me. And so, you know, doing it for a lot of selfish reasons too. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good kind of selfishness. That's not, that's not really what I call selfish, right? Because (laughs) it sounds like, you know, you like it because it's, allows you to be even better at what you do, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I used to do a lot of work training, anti-racism training in Alaska uh, with uh, with Alaska Native populations, you know, Yupik and, and Chupik folks mostly. And that's where I got introduced to the idea of like cultural reconnective therapy, in the mostly in the mental health field, but certainly in the physical health as well. But, you know, they really had these incredible success rates in terms of sobriety, in terms of quote unquote non you know non reoffending or non recidivism, you know they had they had programs for people that had addiction issues. They had programs for people that I mean, it really wasn't a program. I think the better way of saying it is it was a process of reconnecting back to indigenous culture, and you know people that had um, been convicted of sex offenses, you know just folks that we often see as throwaway in society. And, you know, they would, they reconnected them to, you know, in, in Alaska, as you know, from being there, that's only a few generations, you know, mm-hmm. they're only a hundred, 150 years away from really not having Europeans around very much. You know, of course, some Europeans from, from, uh, from Russia, you know, come over like in, I think in the late 1800s, early 1900s, but they're really not very far away from being able to live pretty much an uninterrupted life. Uh, according to their indigenous ways. So that reconnection, that cultural reconnective therapy and cultural reconnective approach, I saw as being like crucial. And I think it's translatable to other cultures. Is that is that kind of in line with what you saw and what you believe, what you're seeing at, in Puyallup? Yeah, absolutely. So South Central had a similar program where it was a five-day retreat about healing. And so people were able to go to heal, you know, whether they had experienced trauma themselves and or maybe perpetrated or continued the cycle of trauma and was a space for healing. And what was so amazing to me is that as an employee, you could go on this retreat and be paid for it. And it just really was so incredible because most, the majority of employees are native. Taking care of your employees translates also taking care of your community. So we were just so well cared for like every week we had an hour of paid time to go exercise and we had a gym on campus with exercise classes that Mm. were available for all of our they didn't even call their patients patients they call them customer owners Hmm. um, for their customer owners and for employees and so it was just such a healthy environment where you know so uniquely in healthcare we're often overworked that your healthcare providers might be extremely unhealthy but in this case because they're community with also their employees it just created this whole wraparound environment where if we care for our employees it's the same as caring for our community and it's a really beautiful and you know sadly unique thing right right and you saw it you saw it being very effective in terms of outcomes absolutely and you'd see people do extremely well in the organization and really grow and thrive and move, mm-hmm. you know, move their way up in experience and skills through the support of the of the organization, which is just such a beautiful thing. Yeah, that that is really that is really awesome. 
you're really getting my brain rushing on a lot of stuff. And I want to, I'm thinking about a lot of stuff we can talk about in part two. Anything else that you want to share about, you know, who you are, what's going on in your life, you know, just anything else that you want people to know about you? Yeah, I think, you know, something I was thinking about, Martin, I appreciate that question was, Mm -hmm. you know, why did I get drawn to this work initially? And I think I didn't realize it at the time, but as we're doing our work with Soul Focus Group is I needed to heal. Mm. Um, And I didn't, I didn't realize that. And Mm. so I first met Dustin when I was 18, I was a freshman in college and I don't remember the details of it, but somehow I like asked him to come do a, a training with the people's Institute at our university. Okay. And that's how we got to know each other. And I just think about, you know, at the time, so much was, well, I'd want to educate myself. But I really see that, you know, my interest in what we at that time were calling like anti-racism work and what I love, you call it like pro-humanity work now, right. is that I didn't understand how race and racism were affecting me. But on some subconscious level, I knew that it was a big part of what I was working through. And I think about that a lot about, you know, how profoundly powerful our concept and this idea of race and racism is in our society, because I think there's a lot of healing that I have to do with my relationship with my mother who is white. Right. And what does that mean to have a mother who is white? And then what does it mean to be mixed race and be in a mixed race family? And then out in the world, you know, what has it meant to encounter racism just as a person of color, sometimes racially ambiguous, sometimes seen as obviously Asian, Mm. sometimes seen as mixed. And so I, I really think that is what drew me to initially, you know, start down that path of education with the People's Institute. Yeah. And then now get to this much deeper level of what I was really looking for, which was healing mm. for myself and for my family. And then I'm so grateful to have been on this journey because, as you know, but our listeners can't see as I'm pregnant with yeah. our first baby. And so thinking a lot about what does it mean now for me becoming a mother of a child who is going to be mixed race. I don't know what they'll how they'll present in the world, but They'll have lots of mixed cultures and languages in their life as well. And so how do I start to process this journey now as a a mother-to-be? Yeah, that's a lot. (laughs) That's really really a lot. And one of the things I love about what you're saying is it, it really mirrors the development of the soul focus group, you know, your journey does, because I think we all, we all move, we all were ready to move and evolve from, you know, just the educational piece. Not, I mean, it's like just the, edu- just the educational piece. I'm not trying to diminish it because the educational piece is incredibly needed, powerful, strong, you know, um, uh, enlightening and, and, and mind opening and expanding for many people, including myself. And, you know, then our journey, you know, asked us to, to go somewhere else. And we didn't even know, I think, that that somewhere else we had to go was healing, you know, both, you know, a personal healing that then coincides with a collective healing. So I think your journey, your particular journey very much mirrors uh, all of us with Soul Focus Group, you know, and the reason why Soul Focus Group exists. And it exists for your 
or your soon-to-be baby, your soon-to-be child. I guess they're already a baby, but you're soon-to-be out in the world child, right? And, um, you know, this is about, you know, as you know, we talk all the time about moving from a place of just fighting to creating something new and, and your child and, you know, Dustin's children and, and Cindy Edwards' children and Cindy Carnegie's children. I'm just, I'm naming the people in our organization that have, have babies, have small children. And, you know, this is why we're, we are doing it because, you know, we need these, this new generation that's coming here. We need to help give them the opportunity to create something outside of the, the bonds of, of racism, if you will, you know, that something, something to be created new and beautiful um, without having to spend so much energy on just surviving this, this racist construct. Exactly. And I love that the focus on creating, how do we create a different world for these kids and for ourselves? Exactly. So, you know what, I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to call this, uh, this first episode, we're going to, we're going to end it now. And, you know, what I want, I want to talk to you about in uh, part two for us is I really want to talk about what does a new culture of delivering healthcare look like? Um, I was inspired by our conversation earlier around cultural reconnection. And it makes me think about a conversations I've been having really over the last couple of days about the current approach of our healthcare system, which is one of reacting to people that are already sick and not, you know, really creating health and wellness uh, to prevent people from being sick and kind of what the cost benefits analysis of that is. So I, I would love to, you know, kind of delve into that from your u- unique perspective, if we can, in part two and, and talk about anything else we want to as well. But that's what's, what I'm really feeling based on what we just talked about. That sounds great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you and excited to have part two. Uh, thank you all for listening, All as always, being on this journey with us to get to know us better collectively. And we can't wait to get to know you. We invite you to come to soulfocusgroup.com. See the journeys that we're on. Join us on this journey in as many different ways as you can. Check out our podcast on all the different platforms. And we ask that you stay safe. You stay sane, you stay well, you you stay healthy, and most importantly, that all of us stay soul-focused. If you wish to support and represent the Soul Focus Group, check out our apparel store at our website www.soulfocusgroup.com forward slash shop.